Welcome to the Liberty Podcast with your host, Pastor Robert Maxey, Senior Pastor of Liberty Church of Baton Rouge. It's our prayer that this podcast will be life-changing for you and that you will share it with someone else. Now, here is Pastor Rob. Well, good evening, good evening, everybody. This is Pastor Rob here, and this is the Liberty VR Podcast. We are really excited today. We have Councilwoman Erica Green uh, joining us today. And so I'm really excited about this show. It's important for us to be able to talk to our leaders and really hear their heart about some of the things that have gone on in our community and, and all over the world. So welcome, Councilwoman. How are you today? I'm great. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I finished a long day at work, so I'm ready to talk. <laughs> all right. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's what we do here. Talk. <laughs> So, uh, over the last few months, EBR, like other communities around the country, have experienced many tests and trials uh, from COVID-19 to protests for social justice reform brought on by the death of George Floyd and among Aubrey. And with all these different things that have been going on around the world and, and especially in our community, it's important for us to be able to engage our leaders and to talk to them and, and hear what they are perceiving as the issues and to, to, for us to get a chance to share our comments and, and our heart with them as well. So I'm excited about today. Uh, Councilwoman, can you just give us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Erica Green. I am a native of Baton Rouge um, by way of Glen Oaks, Louisiana. I always make it a city. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, was public school reared. Uh, left to go to college, went to Texas, came back for law school here at Southern, um, have always been community centered. Even uh, when I graduated, I got the humanitarian award, um, came back to Southern state community oriented while I got my education, um, wow. did some juvenile. Uh, my specialization in undergrad is juvenile justice. So when I first finished law school, I did focus a lot on juvenile justice. And okay. um, now I'm mainly juvenile justice. I'm mainly um, I do family law uh, as my real job and um, estate planning. And then I became councilwoman in 2016 of District Five, which uh, covers part of North Baton Rouge. And right. so I've been a little busy. Um, I'm still actually involved in numerous organizations and um, trying to assist in, on the boards that I'm with. Also, now, what what boards are you on? So definitely, um, I am on my church board. We have a um, scholarship um, board called uh, Gloraland Education Resource Center in the community. I'm on the CATS board, uh, which is public mm -hmm. transit, and I serve as the vice president. I'm also on the YWCA board, which um, we okay. are uh, – women-oriented organization, but now moving into racial justice. And um, and then I believe I am on oh, the board with my sorority, our foundations board. And so this is a variety of boards, but um, excited to okay. serve always. Awesome. And I appreciate everything that you've done uh, in the community since you have come back. And, and for so long, we see our, our our young people get educated and then they leave. Baton Rouge and they take that education and that, that experience with them. So I, I feel like our community is blessed that we have a great group of young talent uh, starting to take leadership in our community. 
And I'm grateful you're still calling me young. <laughs> it, it keeps me energized that you call hey, me my young. Wife trained, come on, my wife trained me well, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what is the boundaries? What are the boundaries of District 5? So District 5, um, we go all the way to Flannery Road, um, Greenwell Springs. Um, we go all the way through Plank, Jewel Road, okay. and all the way to Scenic Highway. Um, and so neighborhoods that you remember are your Park Forest, Monticello, Glen Oaks, your Montesinos. Yeah. Um, we got we have the great Krispy Kreme in the middle of us. So uh, oh, man. I'm always happy <laughs> that I can say I have Krispy Kreme and Tony <laughs> Seafood in my district. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Those are some pillars of our community right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, yeah. over the last four <laughs> Over the last four months, we've seen so much uh, change in our in our world and in our community uh, from COVID-19 to uh, rec- most recently uh, social justice reform and and calls for uh, defunding the police and things like that. So it's so much going on and we really need to just kind of break it down and, and kind of talk about it. So let's start with COVID-19. Um, what was your reactions when uh, you first started seeing the breakup across uh, breakout around the country? I think COVID nineteen was something that uh, uh, took all of us um, by surprise. We all, you know, know that uh, we should t- take care of our bodies and health, and understand that any little cough for for the black community turns into something way mm-hmm. serious because we um we have very serious health disparities in our area. And um and so right. for us when coronavirus numbers started coming in, um I guess the impact for me was that this is real because you know we we were at probably uh 40 40 something percent in Baton Rouge and I say we the African American mm-hmm. community that was the numbers that we were having that that's put us put us really high. So the question is, how do we address it when we don't really know how to really know, understand that disease? So what happened was, it you know, everybody started halting everything, including leadership had to make some strong decisions back in March um, to slow down um, commerce and, and slow down uh, movement. So. Right. The best thing that I think that we did as a city was definitely stopping the spread or attempting to flatten the spread by 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 closing everything down and putting a halt. But then I think that our response was if the numbers are showing that African-Americans are disproportionately affected, let's get treatment. Um, yeah. Or and, and so we saw a number of covid sites um, for testing come up because that was a huge issue. Were, the, were there enough tests for people to uh, to get? So, so my initial reaction was, um, let's see what the world is saying. But then, when it became an issue for our community, I'm happy that we started by providing um, treatment centers, um, or not centers, but testing sites that were quick and accessible. Always with right. everything, a quick test was not as reliable as a three day response test, but um, I think we did the best that we could. And, and however, on mo- moving forward, the other issue was 
not only did it affect in the, it, you, your health individually, it started affecting people's pockets. So, mm, you yeah. know, a lot of people, a lot of our business owners in, in North Baton Rouge, a lot of our business owners in the city of Baton Rouge, and I, I mean, I speak on the Ram spectrum, that the truth is that was the de most devastating part of it because most businesses, most people who relied on um, employment, part-time or full-time employment, that wasn't your sit-down office job started to be affected because those buildings were closed and our small business owners started being affected. And so I think we did what we could by providing um, webinars and, and connections to grant funding and things right. like that as a response. Um, even I had a, I had a um, call with church churches because even our churches, don't know when we when we stop when we close churches down. Right. That's revenue for the, the 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 churches, and so churches needed to come up with a new plan as well on how they were going yeah. to maintain operation. Right, and did you find that the community was responsive to leadership? Because I know for a long time we saw that there were so many rumors out there. Um, the rumors were only. Uh, those of Asian descent would get it, and then there, then it was mm -hmm. uh, black people can't get COVID-19. And then, you know, it was only attacking older community. And, and now when we look back, we can see, man, it was hitting all of us, but there were so many different rumors. So yeah, the, the rumor part of it is um, the, the street committee went full throttle, the street and the social media committee. Um, everybody who was connected to social media was spreading the rumors and also sharing, you know, news articles that every day things were changing. So it was hard to even keep up with it. So that was um, one of our hurdles that we had to get through uh, at, on the front end. Now, on the back end, when people started, you know, really seeing the effect of it, I think it didn't matter what you could have said. People were really starting to take a, a heed to what you're telling them to do. The other part of it, I think our seniors, um, they kind of. They they had they didn't know how to receive it. So one, th these are people on fixed incomes and people who have health conditions. And one, they needed help with food. They needed mm -hmm. help with um with financial support. And so they some of them it took a while for family members and right. and, and 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 leaders to tell them you need to stay in. And then we have that generation gap where we have our Gen Zs. I think they're called. And um, after millennials and those 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 groups were, you know, they're invincible in their minds. So I, I don't think a, a rumor mattered. They just right. felt like that wasn't happening in my life. And so you can't yeah. counter that with anything. But hopefully they they see that it's serious. <laughs> and and uh, you're totally right. Um, I saw that our young people really did not take it seriously. And I don't know if that was from misinformation in the beginning of the virus stages, or was that something that's just a young person thing? You know what I mean? Uh, but mm -hmm. we kind of, when we were young, we didn't feel like, like we could be hurt. Like we were a uh, super, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things of, of educating them and, uh, and getting them on board with it. But I don't know if that has been very successful. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I was thinking while you were talking, like maybe, I don't know if we've reached the goal on that one. I think that right. uh, the best we could have done with the COVID message was everybody stayed on target um, as leaders and then infuse some, you know, celebrity 
messaging in there. And yeah. I think that's the only thing they kind of they, they really re- was receptive to is, you know, oh, the sports, all sports were canceled. Then they were like, OK, this is serious. Right. But still, right. You, you know, I know parents that said that they couldn't keep the college students in their house, when they, you know, even after everything was shut down. So right. that's a different generation. Um, and, and on all aspects of life, we, we know that they 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 hear it, see it differently than the rest of us. Right. Uh, Councilwoman Shauna Banks, she came out with a post today talking about um, virus cases. And she said 47,706 reported cases in our community and over 2,930 deaths. Um, what ha- what are we doing to curve that? I mean, are we- is that a successful number? If that could, it, you understand what I'm asking? I think any loss of life is is hard to to measure, right? If that's mm-hmm. if we've done enough to curb, because um, for that family member that lost their their loved one, it, it we didn't do enough. They didn't know quick yeah. enough. But then on the reverse side of that, um, I think that I can say that the city of Baton Rouge, especially our council members, um, attempted to do the best we could. You know, we yeah. distributed masks. We distributed um, uh, some supplies that we could find. And, yeah. and we made sure that at least during this pandemic that food was um, accessible. Some right. food boxes were accessible to families. So to curve, I think closing down the city was the first thing to do. But in, yeah. in, in retrospect, you have to combine um, the mass that was distributed, the messaging, and yeah. you have to make sure that everybody understood that cl- <laughs> we have to clean behind right. ourselves and be more cognizant of what we're doing. So, you know, did we did we wait too long to do that? I don't think so. I think you know, had the federal government provided us uh, a notice earlier, I know that we would have did everything that we could have to meet that that notice um, to meet the response upon right. notice. But from what we received, I think the mayor uh, did the best that she could mm-hmm. to, to respond and to, to, to address it by, you know, starting, you know, I think we started at um, St. Patrick's day when yes. things started getting closed. And so everybody was a little upset, but that's, that's us after I have a friend that's on Facebook, but she grew up with me. She's in Spain and her posts were like, we, she was already six, 60 days in on um, quarantine wow. when we were just starting. So I, 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 I think that our federal government may have failed yeah. us on providing a quicker notice. One of the things that was coming out of the federal government was that um, masks weren't helpful. They weren't helpful and that um, uh, only people that were sick would need ma- masks. But now it switched and and it was kind of shocking when it went from Dr. Fossey saying uh, masks are not helpful. Don't don't wear a mask. And then all of a sudden there's this huge movement for masks. I think huh, the, I don't know. Um, I, it's hard for me to follow, to be honest with you. One yeah. minute they say wash your hands. The next minute they say it's the surface surfaces are clean. Are, are not where it's being, um, where the virus is being spread. Then they say it's airborne. Um, yeah. I just think you have to take every precautionary measure to protect yourself and your family, especially if you are a caregiver or a parent. 
I think that you just have to do everything, um, wear a mask, uh, wash your hands and, you know, sanitize your your workspace and your family spaces as people, you know, interact with you. So um, that just it's hard to to figure out. But I think people have to do what's best for their their lives. And so I still know people who aren't going anywhere. Um, But that's for them. That helps them, you know, maintain. What has uh, COVID-19 revealed to us about our health care in Louisiana? It it has showed us that we have missed the bar and that we are not prepared for um, for massive medical issues. Now, keep in mind, we've Mm -hmm. already had some you know, serious, um, uh, serious illnesses that affected many of the residents here. And we would say, well, as long as they have access to some form of health, health care, then, then we, we have, we're fine. The issue right. is that even the preconditions need to be treated. Uh, our, our community needs to make sure that they're maintaining um, a connection with a primary care physician. And that's just not true. We don't, right. we don't exercise enough. Luckily, I'm excited that Baton Rouge General is coming back um, as a health facility officially. Um, but I think that was a wake up call after after the pan well during the pandemic. Right, we right. Need an- we need another place, and we need a place yeah. that is suitable. And so um, we 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 knew we knew this all along, but right um, now now how we fix that is funding. We well, I did to- not know Baton Rouge General uh, Mid City. Is that Mid City is coming yes. back on? Yes, that is a, that's amazing because that was a real shock for our community when it did close. Mm-hmm. It's, um, they announced it um, like a week ago. Wow. Uh, we have our first caller. Bobby, you can hear us? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. What question you mm-hmm. have for us today? <clears throat> I was just because we were, you were talking about um, criminal justice reform and stuff earlier. Mm-hmm. And I was just like wondering, what, what's the, what's like, what's your ideas on that right now, with everything going on? Like, what do you think the the solution might be? Okay, and that's a great question, um, Councilwoman. You want to talk about that a little bit? So, um, criminal justice reform and police reform are are, are kind of two different things. But I will say, I am a criminal justice major, so I believe in law and order. Right? I, yes. I know that the role of of um law enforcement is to protect and serve um and so i I think that we have some deficits in our um policing relationships and our policies um obviously on the criminal justice side before we even get to policing where where um individuals are coming to the system that's some that that's more to me um, systematic and social ish, uh, concern, and and so whereas we may need to address things like poverty, we need to address substance abuse, we need to address um, things that lead up to our lack of education, which leads up to criminal uh, behavior. Before we even get you into the system, and right. so then we get you into the system. Is there fairness in the actual um, criminal justice system? Um, I believe there is, but I also believe that there are some some courts and some um, prosecutors and some district attorneys that do not um, fairly um, administer justice. Um, right. And so we have to make sure that there is 
there is um, transparency um, in those processes and that we elect individuals that are concerned about uh, justice. Now, going to the police reform side of that, mm -hmm. I already said that social services is something that needs to be at the forefront. So um, as he uh, as uh, Pastor uh, Robert discussed earlier, another thing that's coming up is defunding police um, and law enforcement. I'm a member of, of Noble National Organization of Black Law Enforcement that has been one for the last two two years. Um, and so I say that because I talk to law enforcement every day. I understand their role and I believe that they they serve a role in our community. The social service aspect of that is, are we being one over policed in communities? Um, and then are, are we handling overzealous law enforcement with a policy um, that can can monitor them in the process mm -hmm. before we even get to defunding or, or reallocating funds? So that's right. the first conversation. Now, when the, the the movement of defunding comes up, what they are saying is in order to address um, public concern about interactions with law enforcement, we need to make sure that we are funding social services. We mm -hmm. should have been funding social services years ago. Um, wow. I, I, even on the city level, on the state level, I know that wraparound services in juvenile court has always been low because... Yeah. It takes a lot to help a broken family. You do need counseling. You do need um, treatment for everybody, yeah. not just counseling. You need substance abuse. You need um, spiritual uh, connection. Yeah, definitely. And and those kind of treatments are not cheap. And right. so, and you you people get burned out quick because of the magnitude of stress. Of goes on with addressing people's lives uh, the, the dramatic and most fragile part of their lives and so mm -hmm. um, and so that's what the that movement is about uh, personally I think that there can be you can still fund and I personally think that you can still reallocate funding to social services um, to to meet the, the issues that we have but also right. like I said we got to start with family. You know, we have right. to start really treating families and their issues. Well, I think that um, a lot of times we've talked about um, being a corrections officer, a corrections institute, you know, a place that, that is supposed to um, help the person. And when they come back, be reformed. But I don't know if, if, if that has been something that we really um, try to do. Um, you understand what I'm saying? So I, I have a, when we look at our numbers, I'm sorry, Bobby, did that answer, answer your question? Yeah, I didn't ask him that. Uh, yeah. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for calling, brother. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that um, I was reading earlier today is that in Baton Rouge, we have one of the highest crime rates uh, in the nation um, across all communities, both large and small. Uh how are we um, how are we trying to curb that? Because if we're talking about defunding the police and we're talking about um, taking funds away from them, does that mean that we lose uh, people, boots on the ground that's able to respond? Um, does that mean that they're going to lose equipment? Like, how does that look? 
So there are different ways to defund, um, defund uh, law enforcement law departments, right? And is that so the right they, terminology we should be using? Yes, it's de- it's, it is defund. Okay. Um, but the, and, and you have to figure out where that we're defunding will help or hurt. So, for instance, um, last year we approved a lot more um, uh, funding for the security. Well, two years ago, security cameras were first. Then the, and then the next thing was the software for the security cameras. And then we approved funding for body cameras. So mm-hmm. so w- which one of those three things do you think will will help if you defund those those just those three? Right. Those three should not be defunded because a lot of police reform and criminal justice measures state that all law enforcement should have security cameras, but nobody put a number to that. Right. There's a there's a cost associated with there's a cost associated with paying for those cameras. So the next part of it the next part of that is, um, okay, so do we defund um, or lower the cost for um, salaries for law enforcement? You know, that's the biggest call to action we have from law enforcement and the union is right. we need to be paid more. Every other right. city, every other county, every other parish pays more. So we can't cut funding to the the pay pay rate, right? Because they're already yeah. on the lower, they're a lower part of pay rate. So then- then you think about what about community community policing or community programs. I think there are a lot of ways that you can defund, but you have to think if you defund certain things, are you de- pretty much losing the sight of it or the, the real goal if mm-hmm. you are defunding parts that particularly go to the, the push for criminal justice reform? You, you can't take away the cameras. And so that's why I'm saying- right. We got to think about how do we do that? And we don't need less law enforcement. We need to right. strategically understand how to police without over-policing. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you know. that the military did was um, when I first came into the military, there was a big push for getting people in. And it was, it was. I mean, it didn't, it didn't really matter what your ASVAB score was. At the time, they were looking for people to come in because we were getting ready to go into two wars. And there was just a lot of uncertainty. Um, but as time went on, we saw that it changed from accepting everyone, right, to accepting the best. Now, I believe that we have some amazing police officers. I have great friends that are police officers. But um, are all the p- police officers here in Louisiana, are they equipped um, with enough, uh, I want to say, anger management, um, social um I think I think what you're saying is is mm-hmm. is, is is correct. The question is, all, all law enforcement have to take a psychic vow, right? Um, and so that's a requirement. But what happens yeah. if if he takes it and then the psychic vow is not um, is not um, how do you say not graded? But um, when you're scoring, you're not putting the real score to the psychic vow that needs to uh-huh. be lower, and then he gets in. Um, do all law enforcement are we getting to answer the question about are we getting the best? The requirement right. for law enforcement is a PT requirement. You know, you just need to be able to be physically fit enough to pass those tests. You need to be able to pass your shooting test and you need to be able to pass your psyche valve. And again, right. some of that is subjective and some of it isn't. But 
if we are looking at individuals that are coming from other parishes, I, you know, or if, if there's not, then the other thing is, if there is not enough law enforcement who are we can are individuals that we consider good individuals applying, then it doesn't right. it doesn't matter if you got five people that apply and that's the next class. You can't let anybody go out of that class because you need that class to supplement those that are retiring and those right. that are leaving. So, so there is a there's a instead of looking for I mean the quality are we looking for quantity instead and mm-hmm. that could hurt uh, that could hurt us in the long run. Uh Jay you got a call? Got a question? Yeah, yeah. How you doing congresswoman or councilwoman? <laughs> I'm just a councilwoman right now, Jay. She's <laughs> looking into existence. Oh, no. I was preaching there. That means that, uh, <laughs> that that's somewhere you might be soon, huh? <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure your plate's full. Look, the, re- the reason for my call is not so much of a question, but I, I wanted to agree with you on the family initiative and to-, to put more funding into family things so that the family units stay together. The problem, I think, the big problem is, is that I know for me. I mean, my mom raised me and my brother by herself. My dad mm-hmm. wasn't in the home. He was absent. We got in trouble. We got mm-hmm. in trouble. We didn't do the things that that I see a family unit with a mother and a father, biological, right. in that family. I see that they go to college. They get educated. They get all these things. And they and, and this is the land opportunity. That's why everybody wants to come here. The mm-hmm. problem I see is, is there's not enough focus on the family and the things in the community. I heard you mention the YWCA. I think that's beautiful. Those type of things and activities, if kids have activities to go to, to be able to play basketball on courts, to be able to do things instead of being on the corners doing the Mm -hmm. other things that they shouldn't be doing, I think that's essential to be able to make a community rise up out of that uh, negativity and, and the things that go with it. You know, and I think we see that in all the major cities. And I, I think it's, it's something that, you know, if we make an example of it, you know, maybe some people will follow, you know? Wow. And and what you're saying has been studied before, right? So I'm sure you came off of your head like, that's a good idea. But the truth is there's research that backs that up, that if you connect people with support, wraparound services, mentors, um, exposure, yes. exposure yes. to experiences. So I have a kid in juvenile court that I say, have you ever been to Bocage? And he says, no, ma'am, I don't know what that's at. He stays in North Baton Rouge. I changed the term and I say, well, have you ever been to town center? And oh, yes, ma'am, I have. That's lack of exposure because both sides town center is the same thing. But most kids have never truly left their side of town. So even exposure to the town center side of the Bocage side and telling them that's still your city, moving that forward and further and saying, now let me take you to the college down the street. Now let me take you to Houston. That little exposure you give to a child creates curiosity and, and, and expectation for more. I want to go back and see something else. And I want to be connected to more people that feel that that's okay for me to do. When you have, when you have individuals that have only seen what their parents have been able to give you, which is the school and the house and maybe the church that they go to. And the church doesn't, let me get there. The church, this is a religious podcast. The church has a role to serve too. And definitely it's to get get families connected to Christ, one. Um, the second part of that is you too have a social service role. What are we doing as a church 
to help those single mothers and single fathers and our grandparents raising grandchildren to help them reach the next level and expose their children to more. That's what right. that's that's the that's the real issue that we have. If we get that together, then definitely crime will go down and and and, and everybody will want to do more more than what they see there in their in their on the street corner. Awesome. Thank Absolutely. you, Jay. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Alberta? Yes. Hi. Hey, how, how you doing? doing? I'm good. good. Hi. Hi. And you're a councilman? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just wanted to make sure Jay gave you a higher rank. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I just let Jay talk, too. <laughs> right. It's coming. He just spoke it. But I, as I'm listening, I'm a mother of four grown kids, and I have three grandkids. And I know when I moved to the Gonzalez area, my kids was in YMCA. It was before and after care. It was in Lamar Dixon. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a way that we can implement the police in the, the care of our kids as well to show them that um, the kids, that police aren't all bad. And that we can give the police even more work. See, I do CEs. I'm a pharmacy compound in IV Tech. We have to do it yearly. It should be a some type of way that uh, police have to do some type of valuation if it's every three months to see where their mindset is at. And we use them for detail. You know, we use them to they go get other work and do other things. Why wouldn't we some type of way? Because we've taken care a lot of taking away a lot of activities for kids like before care and after care for single parents that they couldn't actually police that. And when I mean that, I mean be there to be involved with the kids so they can see how they can do something better as well. You know, um, we use them. They go get part-time jobs here and there. But while it'd be nice if the state will fund something where we can have different areas of YMCA's, the police actually and other people, family as well, we all can get in there, even churches, and be able to be there a few hours in the evening or the morning to help those kids, you know, to give them a different environment, to see that this is not just where you at, it's what's going to happen to you, that you can grow by seeing what we work, how we work and what we do. It's like our funding is getting cut and we're getting cut from areas that we need it. You mm. know, we're talking about the police being cameras. I mean, why do we have camera? I'm not saying we shouldn't have cameras on the polls, but we have cameras talking about red light and red light tickets. Those cameras could be cameras that is given to police to be vest that stays on. Mm -hmm. You know, and then also police and my daughter. I think he's sending me tickets, so I just want to say right, that. right. <laughs> you know that you, it, we can use that. We can use that funding in some type of way to give to to equip our police and to equip people. You know, it's no he say she say. It's there. You can see it. You know, we we use funding in different ways we don't we it's some kind of way that they need to actually do um some type of surveys and figure out where the funding needs to be you know we have no more preschools you know i remember my kids went to preschool we we don't have the things to, to start our kids off because the kids is going to take care of the the rest of the time as we get older uh -huh. You know, if we're not equipping them and you got to have a certain type of standard or make a certain type of money or live or have a certain type of career for your kids to succeed, that is wrong. Right. You know, so it's a way that we can take 
the people that do work, the people who's, you know, and let the children see that this is what you can become. This is where you can go. You know, we have to help them. They were, they didn't ask to come here. They were born into certain situations. And it's not that it's the state fault or the government fault. You know, it starts at home. But we still can do something about it. And so what, let me tell you what you can do about it. So every city, you, you talked about Gonzalez. I'm a, a mm -hmm. council person in, in the city of Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Every city has a budget. Um, and what, what I have always tried to make sure is that the budget covers every department that we have. Did you know that we have a department that focuses on workforce development, employee BR? Many people don't, but it's on Plank Road in my district. If it's going to be in my district, my statement to to administration and to the city is that are we funding, are we using this money wisely in this area? Are we being good fiduciaries of the funding in that area? Right. If we're not, then we need to close that department down or we need to, to be more creative in how we can right. incentivize that particular department. Because employment and workforce is is what we need. We need getting people from home into work, into jobs. And if we right. can do that through a city-funded place or, or department, then we at least are recycling that dollar. We have social service um, uh, individuals that come through the the um, health and human the health department of our city, uh, health and hospitals. They're in every community center. We have five community centers in the city. Did you know that those women are there and men are there every day to, to address the needs? So if you can't pay your utility bill, you can't pay, you need extra funding to get through certain times when it's difficult, the city already funds those things. So are, one, is it being utilized? And if it's not, why? Are they not touching the community? Are they just sitting in their office? And so we have to make sure that we're holding city parish accountable for the, the, the services that we already provide and not just wasting money because it means nothing to say defund law enforcement and reallocate services. Then you reallocate services and the individuals in the offices cannot handle the magnitude of work that's coming there or not creative enough to, to create a program that will help the young people that you, you intend to change the mindsets for. All right. Thank you, Alberta. Thank you. Thank you, Alberta. You're welcome. Thank you. As you were talking to uh, Alberta, I heard gaps. Now, and what I mean by that is that we see um, a lot of times when people are applying for help for a lot of things, they'll say that they make too much money. However, the person is saying, I'm broke. You know what I mean? How do we fix these gaps? Where it, it, if the person has a car that was made in 2017, they can still get service and it wouldn't be denied because their car is too new. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that we have to, I'm, I'm gasping because that was a good example. We have to definitely make sure that if we are, if we are centering on uh, services, and like you use the car, for example, we're making sure that, that that's something that we can we can address and that we can or we can refer them to someone that can address those things. Um, and sometimes that's where you're, you're um, and I might be 
gearing off. Sometimes that's where all these nonprofits and organizations come in to assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people don't utilize that as well. Um, it's, it's, you know, there are roles that the city plays, but we also need to utilize all these other organizations who are, are fully funded that can right. help. Uh, Bobby said in a, in a comment, he said, uh, oh, let me go back and part of the part of the issue with the police is that they're called in to handle too many issues. When people say defund the police, what they're meaning is to take money from police and funding community and funding community led programs that can be called to handle situations the police shouldn't like mental health, mental health crisis, domestic violence and other similar scale issues, as well as making sure the police don't have as much power to intervene in in those situations where they have been shown to be unhelpful. And we and that's totally a great comment because we've seen where police officers have been called in, even by family, to help deal with a, a person that has, that's having a mental health break. And then it turns into uh, a, a violent situation and, and a person that had a mental, mental health issue was shot. I remember hearing the story um, maybe a year ago of a family where a mother had called the police to help her deal with a son and uh, then she was afterwards. She regretted that she had called. So I want to I want to say that I I, I don't want to dismiss Bobby's statement. That that is mm-hmm. very true. Law enforcement are called for way less than emergency concerns. You know, right. But there is no excuse for them not being able to adequately respond and understand how to de-escalate the situation. Um, if it is someone with a mental health um, issue to know how to deal with it um, mm-hmm. without it, without using aggressive or um, excessive force or any force at all. Because some of right. that is, is true, you know, problem solving type, you know, conversation that should be had. And you should know your community that you your beat. You should know your beat like the back of your hand and what yeah. areas and what calls are frequent. Why? Because there are street cameras that that go back to the department that shows us where crime and calls come from so when i sat down with chief paul um what he stated to me is we know the frequently called areas we know that we know that miss johnson has a son that has issues and so if that should be that shouldn't be surprising to you that that you've been called for the fourth time miss johnson now the other side of that is we do have mental health and and domestic violence issues in our city very high yeah high concerns so now my question my statement to that is how have we resolved that is that the city of baton rouge as a whole the constituents made a made a vote and said we approve taxing um a tax that will be a health care tax that goes to the bridge center which is a, a a new facility that that will actually open in december of this year and that particular facility is supposed to provide Mm-hmm. Um, a response team when the when law enforcement realizes at that point that's a that's a mental health issue, and that response team is supposed to come out, and then that that person is supposed to be filtered to that particular center or any other center that covers sub, uh, mental health or substance abuse issues, and then that person doesn't go to jail. That person doesn't even get in the right. police car. So so we are trying to fix the problem in Baton Rouge through that particular measure. And the citizens said, yes, we agree with that. Um, yeah. And so we have some answers. Like I said, we, we are responding. We realize what, what's happening. 
And then we also have um, a great partnership with the district attorney's office and um, domestic violence centers um, in Baton Rouge, even surrounding mm-hmm. areas that help to address those needs as well. Um, Mika said, is there a list of city resources? Yes, ma'am. So unfortunately, it's probably not as clear as it should be, but on brla.gov is the city of Baton Rouge's website. I encourage her to go under um, departments, particular social services, um, and D, um, health and human services, DHH. That's who covers all our social services. And so if you remember this name, Ms. Bernadine Mabry is the um, department head. So if you search her name, then you'll get that department and under that umbrella, what services they provide. Right. Thank you for that. Um, so around the country, we saw in the last couple of weeks, we saw the, uh, the riots and um, the protests, and we saw them take a, a more darker tone. tone. Um, how did we, uh, as, a, as a city, not go there? Like, what was the thing that stuck out and made us different than uh, other communities around the country that we did see violent riots and protests? So, so we did this four years ago, right? In mm-hmm. 2016, we did have a city in, in uproar over right. racial inequality and over police brutality. Um, and so we, we actually had protests and we had many, many um, outside meetings and, and, and yeah. in the front meetings and policing for reform committees came up. And so I told somebody the other day that I thank y'all for tagging me in all of these police reform measures and tagging me in all these things that all these cities are saying, this is what you should, are nonprofits, not cities. Nonprofits are saying, these are the five things that we need to do to address police brutality. Guess what? Baton Rouge already went through all of that. We we had some serious racial tension in 16 and 17. Yeah. Um, and so I think for our for the uh, for the citizens that have um, attempted to to do protests and not attempted, but had protests or had, you know, um, conversations about where we are now. That's a new group of people. Right. Some old. But you have to understand four years ago, some high school students had no clue or wasn't really tapped into what was happening. So yeah. now they are old enough to understand and comprehend. And now they are fired up. So that's your next. That's one group. Then you got right. people that weren't in college during this time. That's another group. Then you have individuals that are saying, I'm fired up because I am tired and I'm frustrated because this keeps happening. And so that's another group. So the reason why I think that I'm not saying that we didn't reach civil unrest. I think what we are doing, this is a new a new phase of people for us, because that first group, we were already tired in 16. Yeah. And and so now you have a, a new group in 2020 that's trying to that now realizes the magnitude of what police brutality and racial um, inequality equals. And, and so now that group is finding ways to address it. But we have, I think we have a yeah. good relationship with, um, well, let me not say that. What I think we have is an understanding on how to do it now. And we know, we know what, what didn't work. We know that we put police reform before the council right. and they didn't get approved. So what, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, we can't change that till we get a new council. Yeah. 
Right. And so I think that now people are just allowing space for conversation, space for um, for you to uh, be able to vocally be present in your in your issue, in your distrust or your your hurt. And yeah. that's through your peaceful protest. So I think that's why ours are kind of staying peaceful because we 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 are, we've been here. And then yeah. right now we're just creating a space for this new generation to address it. How do you uh, how do you reach the heart of the person that says, yeah, I hear this about p- peaceful protest, but violent protest and violent, uh, violent riots and whatever has actually yielded results. Um, I think that everybody has a role and and we saw that in the civil rights movement that, and I'm a a huge history, but, um, where there was, you know, a violent response on one end, there Mm -hmm. was peaceful, (laughs) peaceful response and and litigation that went forth and community organizing that went forth. And so I'm not saying that one way or the other is better, but there are, to me, there are a variety of roles that everyone needs to play. And so mm-hmm. where your role might be educating young people, my role may be, you know, making sure we file these suits against individuals that we feel um, are not being um, addressed um, or our companies that may not be handling things right. And then the other issue may be um, outside of litigation, you might need to, uh, have some advocacy approaches to it. So, yeah. So I, I think that um, everybody has a role, and if if you feel your role is to be violent, you need to take take a step back, and you need to make sure that that what that your response and what the 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 um, consequences of that response are things that you are ready to accept. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that was so hard in 2006 for me and um, a, vol- a lot of volunteer lawyers was that individuals individuals had good hearts, good, yeah. good, um, passionate hearts were arrested for peaceful protesting because there were some people that were out of towners that did not have a peaceful heart and did not understand how we cared about our city. And so we spent a lot of time trying to get people out of jail. Um, And then they had other people that were trying to counter that. And so I think that the way you address, uh, you you know, you address hatred and you address violence with the reality that if you do that, we want you to be locked up, but we really want change. We want change. We don't want, confusion and disorder we won't change right what do you think was the difference um in the reaction from the community in uh amon aubrey versus um uh george floyd Uh, i don't so i don't think there was a true difference i think it, it it hit a, a plateau. You know, it just hit a moment where they were back to back. If you recall, mm-hmm. Trayvon Martin happened. Um, then um, Eric Garner happened. And then Alton yeah. Sterling. Yeah. Now, we lost it because once Alton Sterling hit, we were already frustrated yeah. from the other two. 
Um, and so I think that's kind of what's happened. You know, everybody was relating to Ahmad, and then then Mr. Floyd was our turning point, our tipping point. Right. Yeah. So I don't think it was a difference. I just think we, that was another level of frustration. Yeah, and but we've seen so much um, of the dialogue beginning to happen between everyone, uh, from the police saying, "Hey, this is an issue within us and in the community, and uh, the government and the states, and everyone's having this conversation now, and we're seeing a big change in in everything." Now, I, I just got a uh, um, a text that said Iberville Parish Council votes to remove the Confederate statues outside of the old courthouse. So there's there's that right there, that side. And there's also the side where I, I tried to watch Gone with the Wind this weekend, this weekend. <laughs> and they actually took it off. I had already bought it and everything. And I went to go watch it and it was gone. Um, are we taking it too far? Or is this also a conversation that needs to be had? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, that came right off the dome. <gasps> I don't know if the response is equal to how to fix this. I don't. I don't know if it's too far. I don't know if that response to now, you know, to now say we're gonna take all cop shows off the TV. But I do know, or uh, you know, um, I do know that. The fact that we have so many cop shows on TV that we are desensitized. The same way I believe that young people and their their sitcoms are overly um, overly sexual, hyper aggressive, hyper um, dramatic, and and um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a lot of fights in it. Yeah. A lot of uh, you know. I think that is the same thing that's happening with law enforcement. If you desensitize them and you make it cool to be yeah. to, to be on law and order and to, to relate to the the officer, then yeah, you, you're going to think that no, that police brutality doesn't happen. Because look at these good right. shows. These people have real issues outside of law enforcement. They they really yeah. have other issues. And, it, it, and, and um, seemingly everything happens so smooth when they go on the show. But in reality, that's not true. In reality, yeah. everything that's happening is a response to something, right? Yeah. And so um, I think that, you know, now that we have camera phones, that intensifies everything about our life. You know, even if yeah. you get you get upset with the person at the at the the uh, food, the fast food place, you're going right. to video it. Why are you videoing that? Just tell right. her how you feel and move on. But that's because we are we assume, and that's the sad thing about our this next generation is they really believe all of that stuff is proper, proper action and protocol. Yeah, your social media fight does not prove to me that you're an advocate for change. Just proves to me that you like to go on social media. So right. my statement is, how are we um, responding in in real time in real life to those issues? Um, and I think that the call for businesses to finally start touching on racial inequality and disparities yeah. in um, in the workplace, I think that's that's one that needed to happen. Um, do I believe that every every organization that made a 
statement is is now goal oriented and focused on diversity. No, I I think that the counter to that is, you know, have you changed your board? Had you have you made sure that there's um, equality in hiring and pay rate? That's how you show me. Um, But you're right. It's it 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 has it has been an over influx of of responses that I don't know if if they are all necessary at this point. Do we remove Confederate statues? Why not? Why not? I mean, I have yet to I have yet to go in the classroom, a public place, and see mm-hmm. black art on the wall. Yeah. Not not it's not something that happens. I go in and sometimes I see some places and things that, and people that, that choose, especially during Black History Month, everybody is choosing to put things, um, give us historical um, monuments and things like that. But the truth is, if it makes people uncomfortable and if it reminds you of a time period that you felt that was that was hurtful to your your heritage, I yeah. think it should be removed, you know. Yeah. And so that's the unfortunate part about it is that I'm not on a, I'm not apologetic about that statement. Yeah. I am sincere that if if I can go the to the store or go to back downtown Baton Rouge and see some black art there, yeah, I would be more convinced that those things could stay. But right now, I'm not. You know, I, I've always thought that it's just a. Um, I, I can't think of any other country that celebrates. Uh, rebels, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and and yeah. and celebrates those that were in active rebellion against the government. So it's a it's definitely a conversation to have. Um, I don't think they should remove "Gone with the Wind" because Hattie, <laughs> McDan- Hattie McDaniel was the first one, first uh, black woman to to win an Oscar, right? And t- to remove the the movie removes her 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 history. Right, exactly. And her so, accomplishments. Exactly. And, and we don't want to do that. So I, I definitely uh, think that might be going too far. Um, but we'll see where it all goes. Um, elections are coming up, right? Tomorrow. They're coming up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my, I guess my question is, you're running for, for re-election? Let me say this. Before I go into I'm running for re-election, there is early voting starting on Saturday. So I want to encourage anyone that stays um, in, well, anybody in Louisiana, mm-hmm. early voting starts Saturday, and then there's an election on uh, Ju- July 11th. So let's, all local elections are important. Now, for my local election, November 3rd, yes, I'm seeking re-election, and I, I, I have work that needs to be finished in District 5 and in the city of Baton Rouge. Um, and so I'm ready to serve. What is your crowning um, uh issue or are a thing that you championed in your first term? Oh, okay. Um, my first term, I did um, a number of things. Uh, in particular, um, I, I have, let's go back. As I told you, first two years are kind of those that stuck on racial issues and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm proud to say that I stood with with the group that that sit that put out police reform, um, awesome. or attempted to do police reform and supported community programming that went um, and funding that helped to get additional um, 
additional equipment for law enforcement. Um, I also was a part of the Smoke Free Band. I was a, one of the authors of that legislation. This is my policy work. I yeah. also did um, a law uh, ordinance that required hotels to have um, more permitting um, when individuals are coming in their hotels um, to stop uh, or to reduce human trafficking. Um, okay. And and um, I also have worked uh, a lot with the um, our, our immigrant brothers and sisters um, with the Baton Rouge Immigration Rights Coalition, as okay. well as providing access to um, our second language um, citizens to a, and, and immigrants and second language citizens to allow them um, more support because uh, Baton Rouge um, has has changed a little bit. You know, growing up, it was, um, you know, more Vietnamese people. Yeah. And now we have more Hispanic individuals in our community. And yeah. and to quite frankly, as a city, we don't provide dual language um, yeah. uh, service announcements. We don't connect with them when 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 things happen. Um, specifically, the flood brought that to my attention that we needed to make sure that we are providing resources and providing um, ways for them to communicate with us. Um, and so I, I helped to make sure right, right. that the city understood and all these agencies understood, Brett Katz understood the needs that they have um, in our city. And hopefully one day yeah. that we would be what is called a welcoming city. Um, we awesome. have not reached that level. But making sure that we ensure that they are. Um, so that's pretty much on the policy level as my community outreach extends. Um, I have revamped the, the Charles R. Kelly Community Center, um, increased our senior citizen re, uh, programming and um, increased our um, rental, rental, which okay. means I increased revenue. Um, to the center um, so that we can provide additional service. We now have youth programming where we didn't have that in the last um, term. And so I had summer programs. I had back to school, not just giveaways, but educational programs. And then we offered some community things like trunk or treat and things like that, okay. where my community kind of didn't have that. So I think, you know, policy and community was things that I focused on and resources, getting resources back into our district. And what will be your um, your goal in this next term? To continue to do the same thing. Um, yeah. Definitely want to work more on neighborhood revitalization and um, increasing our business um, side. Um, it increases our relationship with the business community. Um, district 5 is definitely an industrial area, uh, meaning that most warehouses and things like that are in our area. But we need to find a way to put more resources back into our small businesses in our area to make sure they sustain and get us some more businesses, um, you know, restaurants and things like that for this side. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I know that uh, one of your uh, council members is running for mayor, uh, Tara Wicker. Tara Wicker mm -hmm. is running for mayor. Have you made a decision on who you're going to endorse? Um, I'm, I'm with uh, Sharon Broom, our current mayor, um, okay. for a number of reasons, but definitely um, I feel that she needs the opportunity to continue her um, work in the community. Awesome. I just want to thank you, uh, Councilwoman. You, it was an amazing show. 
I thought it was good too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would see if you recorded that. That's some good stuff. <laughs> yes, I, I have I have it recorded, and it'll be it'll be uh, live. It'll be back on the uh, website tomorrow. So if you want to get on and, and continue to share it, but I appreciate you so much, and I appreciate everything that you're doing in the community. Um, if you had something that you wanted to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Um, so I have a nonprofit called Imagination Leads, and I want to make sure that they understand that we need to promote literacy in our community. And so um, promoting literacy and cultural awareness is what we do. Please go follow our page um, on, on Facebook so you can get more information about that initiative. Awesome. Thank you again. And I can't wait to just see everything that God does in your career and in your Thank life. Thank you. Thank you Guys, so much for having me. Oh, no problem. We're going to have you back, too. Okay. I'll be ready. All right. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm so thankful that you guys were able to join us. And I'm so thankful for all the call in and the questions that we had today. Um, I want you guys to remember, like we always say every show, put it out on social media. Let everybody know that you listen to this show and that it was is really good and, and that they need to tune in. So please, please, please share, 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 share. We want to continue to make sure that all this information gets out to our community. Thank you guys. I love you. God bless.